Welcome back, everyone, to the next episode of What's Next. Our guest today is Mike Glacar. Um, went to school with him at Quinnipiac, uh, D1 hockey player. He talks about his transition from Division One hockey player to professional, um, and then having his career cut short uh, with a, a career-ending injury, and all the way to where he is today, starting his new venture. Uh, it's called True Connect Software. Uh, Mike's got some great tips on networking, finding your passion, topics that you hear day to day, but he actually gets in the weeds on them, like what networking actually means, what finding a mentor actually means, because um, I think there's a there's a common misconception out there. And his mantra for for any salesperson out there uh, of always adding value and what that means today. Um, so really, really fun one, guys. We we dive into all the you know the things he's learned since school, um, and then he's months away from starting you know his new adventure. So it's an exciting time, and he talks about that transition. Uh, so we hope you guys enjoy it, and we'll see you next week. All right, everybody, welcome back to episode 19 uh, of the What's Next podcast. Our guest today is Mike Lakar. He's founder and CEO of True Connect Systems. Uh, they're a cloud-based sales software uh, focusing on bringing humanity back to business, and we'll, we'll dive more into what he's doing now at True Connect. Uh, Mike formerly played uh, Division One hockey at Quinnipiac, so he's a fellow QU alum, uh, before playing a year of pro hockey with the Minnesota Wilds affiliate team, the Rapid City Rush. Uh, Mike's career was cut short. He suffered a career-ending concussion during his rookie year. So we'll talk about his experience adjusting to life after sports there um, and then diving more into it. After retiring, he, he began a career in advertising sales in the medical publishing space. And then most recently uh, was with Fast Company Magazine in Manhattan. Um, and one thing Mike talks about is, is after years of using subpar sales software, he decided to build something better. Um, and so that's where he is today with True Connect. Um, which he started in September of 2017. Mike, thank you for joining us, man. No, thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. So we like to start it off, just kind of give everybody the stage to to tell us their story. Um, why don't you take us through, I guess, your experience, even going back to, to high school, were you a juniors guy? Were you straight from high school guy? Uh, getting recruited uh, by, by Quinnipiac, which at the time was really building uh, something pretty strong for their hockey program. Yeah, so so I grew up in Canada, actually, on the west coast of Canada, just outside Vancouver, and um, grew up playing hockey. Uh, up there, it's a little bit different, you know, so I actually played two years of juniors after high school, uh, which is probably the easiest two years of my life, you know, it was like practicing two hours a day and doing nothing else, uh, but that was pretty standard up there um, and waiting for a scholarship. I was approached by Quinnipiac. They actually did a lot of recruiting on the west coast of Canada. I didn't know too much about the school. You know, obviously a pretty pretty small school, but you knew they had a decent hockey program. Uh, flew down, fell in love, fell in love with the school, and and uh, ended up committing when I was, I guess, uh, 18 at that point. And ended up uh, coming to Quinnipiac a year later when I was 19. And it was it was kind of a, a freak thing, actually. A, a good friend of mine had committed to Quinnipiac the year before. I probably wouldn't have ended up there except for I knew he was, you know, committed, and it, it kind of piqued my interest a little bit. Uh, but certainly glad I did. That's awesome, man. And so you get into Quinnipiac. So I guess we hear a lot of the trends now of like, uh, at least in the States, people are talking about the need to do more of like a gap year or get a bit more perspective into going into college. Did you feel like you got that at all with juniors or was it still like diving right into school? Don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, I actually think it was probably a tougher transition, right? Because I had gone through high school, you're, you're kind of in the zone with, with studying and taking tests. And all of a sudden, I had two years off where I didn't really touch a book. <laughs> and then came into, uh, 
into Quinnipiac and it was right back into it. So, you know, I, I think in a certain way I was a little bit older, probably a little bit more mature, uh, but sometimes it's tough to get back into it. And fortunately, a lot of the guys were in that same, that same boat. I mean, we had guys on the team that were 21 year old freshmen. And so, you know, they had taken a number of years off. So I think Quinnipiac did a pretty good job of kind of getting us up to speed again and transitioning. Did you know, did, did you know when you got to Quinnipiac, you, was it your, obviously your main goal was to play hockey, but then on the academic side, did you know what you wanted to do right away? Uh, you know, I, I felt I wanted to be going to medicine. That was always kind of a goal of mine. And so um, I started down the science path. I did my undergrad in health and science studies, which you know, was a pretty generic degree on the science side, but it was kind of a prereq for just taking the MCATs and the pre-med. Um, that's pretty much all I knew, you know, and, and it's funny, right? Like I went there to play hockey. The, the school was a little bit of an afterthought. Um, but you know, as, as you know, in college sports, you kind of start to get indoctrinated into the educational side and start thinking about your future. So I would probably say by the end of freshman year into my sophomore year, I had a pretty good idea that I was going to go into medicine, uh, which all changed a little bit later on. So, you know, we, Rand Pecknell, our, our head coach up there, was pretty adamant that we needed to stay in the summer and train, you know, and so we ended up taking courses in the summer anyways. So I had enough credits to graduate after three years. And as you guys know, you need, I think it's nine credits per semester to stay eligible. Right. So I was going to take a bunch of kind of BS classes that didn't mean anything to me. Um, but I got the opportunity to start my MBA my senior year. So I got into the business side and I realized very quickly that I actually enjoyed business a lot more than the sciences and health side, and I didn't really feel like going to 12 more years of school to become a, a specialist. <laughs> so I jumped, out, uh, jumped the ship a little bit more to the business side um, my senior year and ended up getting my MBA a little bit uh, after I graduated uh, that following year. Very nice, very nice. And so you talk, I guess, a bit more about um, the the work-life balance, like you said, you were there, the focus first was hockey, and I think we can all relate to that, and you, you start to find things you're passionate about, things you start to, you know, subject matter, you start to grasp on a bit more, but, um, you know, elite level D1 hockey, I mean, what was that balance like for you during school? What'd you struggle with? What'd you, you find worked for you? Yeah, I think, as most of us do, you learn um, the balance over time, right? And, it's as much as figuring out the system as it is, you know, working hard and studying and, and all those sorts of things and figuring out which professors, you know, you could speak to and, and get extra help after hours and get extra tutoring and things like that. But, but like you guys, you know, you go into school playing sports thinking, okay, my, my dream is the big leagues and that's kind of my main focus. What I found out very quickly is, um, you know, you go from playing juniors where you're maybe one or two on your team you go into college, everyone was one or two on their team, right? It's a lot of great players. And um, so, you know, probably after my, my freshman year, you start to think, okay, this is, it's very competitive and I better think of, you know, other alternatives besides just sports. So, you know, that's when I started uh, figuring out the work-life balance a little bit or the sports, sports uh, school balance. Um, it's funny though, I, I did have a professor, I'll never forget this freshman year, in biology, I was struggling a little bit and basically told me, you know, you have two choices. You can either, you know, focus on, on hockey and just basically get straight C's throughout school or you can focus on school and quit hockey. And it was such a weird thing for me for a professor at a university to say, um, but it actually a little bit of a fire underneath me and said, actually, I'll, I'll show you I can do both. And, and fortunately, it worked out. Yeah, it's not giving you very much credit there to be like, <laughs> it's one or the other. Uh, I know you're deep into this. You, you've already committed to a program, but 
uh, this class is your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, those those professors were few and far between. You know, there's a lot of professors, especially I, I felt when I went into the business school, that really embraced the, the sports culture at Quinnipiac. Um, and, and by no means, I don't think there were any special favors, but, you know, would give us extra help if we needed to, or at least point us in the right direction for tutors who could help us out after hours. And so, so, so we're going to jump ahead just a little bit. So, you know, you go into your professional career and talk about that, talk about that transition from a student athlete to now you're a pro, right? You maybe achieved your, your dream of becoming a pro and then you face some adversity. So take us through that story as well. Yeah, so I uh, I hadn't signed with anyone uh, my senior year, uh, you know, after after the season was over. Um, my agent was working on a few different teams. I ended up getting an opportunity to go to Peoria's camp, which is uh, St. Louis's affiliate um, in the AHL. And that was actually, it was funny, that was a lockout year for the NHL too. So you had all the pro guys that were down in the A and it was pretty competitive. But I had a chance to go there and, and that was a good experience um, and then was sent down and uh, assigned to Rapid City, uh, which at that point was in the Central Hockey League. Now they're in the East Coast. Um, and, you know, it was it was a big eye opener for me. It was cool to get a paycheck to play a sport that you love. You know, that was definitely a, a dream of mine. What I realized fairly quickly was, um, you know, it's definitely there's a big gap between, you know, the NHL and any of those minor leagues. But also, you know, a lot of those players, although they were doing playing a sport they loved, were pretty unfulfilled. And I, and I don't want to generalize that, but, you know, there were a lot of guys who were still trying to make it who were in their late 30s and, you know, pretty low salary in the minors. And I, I figured out pretty quickly I don't want to be one of those guys. So I either, you know, work as hard as I can to try and get up uh, a chance up in the big leagues um, or make a decision. And uh, unfortunately, that decision was made for me. So we were on a road trip down in Texas. I got hit from behind, uh, had a little bit of double vision. Actually, somehow I got a penalty on the play, but I, I remember being in the penalty box and I couldn't read the boards across. They were all double. So in between periods, I, uh, you know, I talked to my trainer and he's like, all right, take the rest of the game off. You can play tomorrow. Next day, double vision again, double vision again. And a month later, I still really couldn't see. And uh, I'd gone to the doctor and my, my eyes were just vibrating like this constantly. So that was a bit of a scary time. You know, I'm like, I have my degrees. Um, I know I want to do something in business afterwards and I'm going to risk it all to play in the minors, you know. So I made the decision to, to quit at that point at the end of the season and uh, came back. I was, um, I, my wife, my girlfriend at the time lived in New Jersey and came back here with really no plan, you know, as I think a lot of guys have after sports, especially unexpected like that. And uh, just started networking and trying to find some opportunities. Was yeah, it, can you was go? It, um, go ahead, Kev. No, I was going to say a couple a couple months ago we had your story is very similar to one to one of our former guests, Adam Greenberg, who played for the Chicago Cubs, and he got um, he got hit in the head and kind of ended his career once he made it up to the big leagues. And he wrote a book um, called Get Up, and he talks about some of the lessons he learned from that adversity he faced, and now he's moved on also into the business world. Um, what are some of the lessons you you've you learned at that moment like what like was it scary how'd you get over that hump yeah i think uh, it was scary you know especially so uh, you know as as an athlete i'm sure you guys are the same you have so many injuries you know broken bones and and you know i had back surgery when i was 19 a bunch of things like that but they're all things that you can kind of see and you can x-ray and you can see them heal when you have a head injury it's tough because no one can really see anything from the outside but you're you have all these challenges you know so that was scary. Uh, fortunately, I had some pretty good medical staff working around me to, to reassure me, um, 
you know, and, and, and work on getting better. Uh, but yeah, I think that the second fear is what the hell am I going to do? You know, it, it was like, okay, even when I decided I better make a decision if I want to keep it grinding out in the minors or, or go into business, I thought at least I'll give it, you know, a few years, maybe three to five years. And all of a sudden, you know, like that, it's one year and you're into business. And, um, so that, that's where I really tried to rely on my network and just figure out, okay, I don't know what the hell I want to do. Uh, I know I have this background. Maybe there's some traits that translate into business and really just start meeting people in business and saying, here's my background. I love meeting people. You know, I think I'm a pretty competitive guy from sports. I'm pretty driven, disciplined. And those are things I learned from sports. What's a good avenue for me? And a lot of people actually pointed towards sales. And that's how I ended up there. Yeah, talk um I guess tactically for the for the people that here they need to network and they need to build their network and you know I think the the negative connotation is you're networking because you're looking for an end goal but as you said it you used your network like you had already built them you have these people your your friend you know friends with or connect close with um, I guess talk about like your stance on networking how you actually used it in that time of like oh crap what do I do what's next Right. Yeah. Networking has become a bit of a, a dirty word because it's become so transactional. Right. And you never want to say even going to a networking event, it's like, all right, everyone's got business cards. Everyone's looking for something. Um, I think taking a different approach and really looking at uh, adding value first. So and, and I, I was fortunate enough to learn that in, in school already. So meeting with people, you know, I talked to a lot of people who I had either you know, coached their kids, done some camps with their kids in hockey try to help as much as I could on that front, um, you know, going to people and asking for advice, not looking for connections, not looking for a job, not looking for a handout, but just saying, listen, I, I see where you are. Um, I certainly respect the accomplishments you've had. I'm just looking for a bit of advice. Here's my situation. I'm making this transition. And I couldn't believe how many people were willing to help. And I think when you go in there with the attitude of really expecting something and requesting something, that's when people get turned off. But when you genuinely, you know, go in there with no expectation, just seeing how you might be able to help them or just looking for advice, at, you know, at the bare minimum, um, a lot of people are, are willing to step up. I think a lot I think a lot of people, at least our age, who are networking are trying to go, they go in there and try to sell themselves, right? And they think, I got to sell myself when really what they need to do is just kind of form a connection, right? Exactly. A, a meaningful connection. Exactly. And it's, it's funny, right? Because it kind of ties back. To, to true connect and what we're building too. Like we're so big on human connection. That's what I believe in. And so you can't go in there saying, what can I get from this person? But it's, it's building a true connection with that person. And then sometimes it's, it has nothing to do with you, but you can introduce that person to someone else or you can help them in a certain way. And that's what I think, that's where the value comes in. And your network is being, you know, of having a symbiotic relationship where you're helping each other out. Um, the other side of it, you know, I think athletics and, and for anyone who's transitioning from sports, you, you don't think of it when you're in sports, but a lot of people who never played sports, they look at it as a really interesting experience and they want to hear about it, right? And, and they want to help you out where they can. And um, so I, I think, you know, not pulling the, the athlete card all the time, but being able to speak to it, you know, um, in, in a certain way that gets people interested. I think, I think you should certainly use that um, when you transition into your career. I love it. I love it. And as you go, you're, you're talking about like being genuinely curious, asking for advice. If that does sound familiar to some of our listeners, uh, just to put some perspective on how this episode came about, Kevin Tarka, episode three, um, we've been staying in touch with him after, after his episode. And he's like, you got to get Mike on. And he was one as well, where he was like, I'm just going around 
and talking to coaches. I'm not asking for jobs. Uh, you know, every country I'm in, I'm just trying to pick their brain, learn something new from them each day. So it's funny as you're talking about that, I'm like, oh, Kevin. And then that's where we got to today. So very cool. Exactly. I, just, I spoke to Kevin the other day and he's a prime example of that. You know, it's it's actually refreshing when someone comes to a, a quote unquote networking situation and just has a genuine conversation with you and looks you in the eye and is, is genuinely interested in what you're saying. It's only, it almost strikes you, you're like, what is this? You know, I'm so used to people just going in for the like, kill. Do you need my card? Like, what do we do now? <laughs> exactly. And he's a prime example of someone who's just built a great network because he doesn't have expectations and he's just willing to learn and he's open to it. And he's not hard headed and set in his ways. And, you know, him and I actually have a weekly call to kind of keep each other accountable. And, and um, yeah, I've learned a lot from him in that front. I love it. Yeah, you guys have some really cool adventures. Um, talk, we're going to get into True Connect, but talk quickly. Um, we, we know a bit more about like the passion project and some of the things you're doing on the side. Talk about, uh, before we get into what you're investing all your time in, um, the importance of having a cause, having a reason, you know, to build that network and, and what you've done um, with uh, the passion, perfect purpose, profit. I know that was one of the pages you started as well. Yeah. So a couple of different ventures we had, you know, it's funny when I was, when I was working and this is, this kind of goes back to a previous question about the transition into work. You know, I remember you finish sports and all of a sudden you're sitting in a great cubicle you know, thinking like, what the hell happened? <laughs> uh, but, you know, when, when that happened, I said there has to be something I can do a little bit more than just work. And so we started the Purpose Network, which was a nonprofit uh, initiative to, to help homeless people. And that was something that was really important to, to me. And, and Kevin Tarkin and I and Kevin Bowie, actually, from Quinnipiac, had started that. Um, and then also it started an a Instagram uh, initiative called Passion Purpose Profit. And the whole idea was you know, instead of just going after something that's about the money is figuring out what you're passionate about, you know, what that purpose is, and then finding a way to monetize that, and then tying that into the purpose network of then taking, you know, that monetization in your career and being able to give back and actually create impact from it. So we did an initiative uh, year one for the purpose network, we, um, we actually purchased a bunch of blankets, gloves, scarves, and, uh, and hats and walked around New York City and, and handed them out. But the bigger thing than that was really about um, hearing people's story. And it was all about human connection again, you know, which I found out after doing a little bit of personal development, like that's that's pretty important to me. That's kind of at a core of, of a lot of things I do. Um, and hearing their story and realizing like you walk by all these homeless people, you don't think much of it, especially in New York City, it's so common. But everyone has a story and everyone actually was connecting with us. And we were so similar to all these people. And we realized everyone's kind of, especially in New York, like one missed paycheck away from potentially being homeless. And so that was an initiative that we did and we continue to this day. And, um, you know, I think it's nice that this whole human connection thread has kind of stayed consistent through everything that we're doing right now. Yeah, same thing. And you, when you were talking to those people, like they weren't asking for much other than your time and your conversation. Just talk to them like anyone else. It was impressive. Exactly. And, you know, it's funny, you know, people give money and that's great. And, and I, you know, our initiative was to give out blankets. But uh, a lot of people have said the money is fine, but we're just lonely. We want people to talk to. We want people to connect with. No one thinks of us as human beings. The initiative was actually called I Am You. And the whole idea was that I Am You and You Are Me were kind of on the same level. We're all human beings. And that was a big eye opener for me. You know, I, I think coming from a small town in Canada, I hadn't seen that many homeless people. And you go to New York City and there's 62,000 homeless people in New York City. Um, and then to meet with these people and hear their stories. And, you know, some of them, you know, they went to college, they started businesses, the business failed, they got into trouble with the law, whatever. And they're in this situation. 
but at their at their core, they're all human beings, and we could all connect with them. And I think that was, like I said, that was eye opener for me, and and I think for for Kevin Tarka and Bowie as well. I love it. And if anybody curious wants to go um, watch that video, is it still was the Purpose Network org right, or is there yeah. no, okay right. at the Purpose Network org that has our video on there. Um, and we actually are, are raising money for the Covenant House. So that was the initiative um, that we focus on. And we'll be continuing to do initiatives uh, throughout the year. But that's that's the one that's up right now. I love it, man. Yeah, obviously, balancing that with what you're doing in True Connect is crazy. But just for the people at home, is like you can go and do something like that. You didn't have to build some crazy foundation or backing. Like You guys just got pretty cool video and, and good conversation and put together something really awesome. So that, that's really cool. For anybody just stuck and wants to go do something, you can easily do it. And I, I thought that was impressive. Uh, but switching gears, let's talk about we, we've, you're a man of, of purpose and you, you're starting your career. Um, you're doing advertising sales. Talk about those, those first couple of years where um, you're adjusting, you're, you're collecting a paycheck, but in the back of your mind, like there's, there's something more here or, or maybe this, like you said, the software isn't right. Talk about those years. Yeah. So uh, again, went into sales right away and, and sales is a funny thing too, because you don't go to school for sales, right? You, you don't necessarily learn, uh, those things, but I, but I can tell you as an ex athlete, you actually have a lot of skills coming in and I already talked about determination, hard work and, and discipline and those things. But you think about it as an athlete, like you, you get thrown into situations with brand new teammates. You know, every year you guys get a new class coming in. You have to interact with these people. You have to work with them. Uh, you have to build relationships and build rapport with your teammates very quickly. And that's something that translated over to, to sales. So I actually felt at home in sales right away. Felt pretty comfortable with the process. Loved meeting people. Um, I, I think advertising sales is a little bit tough because sometimes you question the merit and the value of what you're selling overall, you know, when you're when you're on your phone and you're trying to watch a YouTube video and you're trying to click through the ad because you're so annoyed by it, and I'm the guy that's selling that, <laughs> you know, that was a little bit tough. Uh, that being said, it, it was a great opportunity to learn, and and I was able to move up into management fairly quickly, and and I like that leadership side. But I think where um, I was a little bit uh, disappointed was in sales in general, is this transactional nature behind sales. And you know, on the, cons the customer or consumer side, you have a pushy salesperson and it's just such a turnoff. And, and it's become so common to have transactional salespeople who don't really care about you. They just want to get the deal, get the close and move on to the next one. You never hear from them again. Where I, So that was this always be closing approach, right? And it's the movie Glenn Gray, Glenn Ross, yep. anyone seen it, right? Where I tried to shift it was to say, okay, instead of always be closing, always add value. And the reason I had to shift that is because I didn't feel comfortable pushing and pushing. That wasn't my, my nature. And when I focused on always adding value, I actually saw a lot more success. And we were able to now start building teams that always that had that always add value approach. Um, so I carried that out uh, into the Fast Company as well. And I said, there has to be something to support a relationship-based salesperson. You know, there's a lot of uh, software out there. And and technology that supports transactional-based selling, you know, just kind of track how many meetings you have and how many people you close and things like that. But what about people who actually want to build true connections and true relationships with their clients? There wasn't anything there. And so that's, you know, and it's been six months now, ventured out, took the leap. You know, I had, uh, at that point, my son was 10 months old and my wife and my mortgage, it's kind of a nerve-wracking, but felt uh, it was now or never and took the leap and started uh, started the company. I love it, man. And and for, you know, those at home 
talk about uh, the importance of the content. I, I feel like you guys, like before you even, like I, before I knew what True Connect was and you got you and I had the conversation, I, I thought it was something similar, like the Passion Network, like you're building this network of salespeople, trying to teach them the right way to sell because you guys are just putting out such incredible interviews, videos. Um, I guess talk about the importance for for people out there, entrepreneurs or, or companies to to lead with content, compelling content that is going to have somebody start following you. And then, oh, I, I didn't realize this is a software that I can purchase as well. Yeah, it actually goes right back to the theme of networking that we talked about is, is how can I add value first? So, right, if, if you launch a product, you haven't given anything and it's just sign up and pay for my product, you know, you haven't really earned the right to close or ask for that business. And I think now it's 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 fairly easy to easy to create great content. And there's all these platforms out there. So we started um, creating videos, interviewing salespeople, interviewing business people from all around the U.S. Um, we you know we created 113 videos in the first two months of this year. Uh, you know we got a, a great videographer on our company, and it's all about creating content before our product is ready. So. We're actually not launching our product until end of April, but um, you know we've we've been able to build a bit of a following with the content we produced. And again, it goes back to our mantra of always add value. If we can add value and show, you know, not not ask for anything in return, but give this content, these videos, these tips, and, and bring these people in and build this network, you know, when it's time to ask for them to to sign up for True Connect, you know, we feel like we've earned the right to ask for that versus if we just did it out of the blue. Can you, I mean, I know you guys haven't launched yet, but are you able to tell the listeners kind of, you know, your two second spiel on what True Connect is, what you're selling, what the, what the business is, just like dumb it down a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So True Connect is uh, sales software for relationship-based salespeople, as I mentioned. Essentially, it's for anyone who manages between, say, 50 to 500 clients, but someone who really wants, you know, to build that strong relationship. And most of the people that have signed up, uh, for our waiting list are people that have a pretty high value sales. So, you know, a real estate agent who every sale may be worth ten or $15,000 in commission, wealth managers, you know, people in the advertising space, even university alumni affairs is a big one for us as well. But anyone who's kind of selling something that, that takes that strong client relationship. And what we do is we take uh, all of your clients' contact information and then we enrich that data um, to add in some of their social uh, fields and social accounts. And then we actually pull in some of the tags that are important to those people individually, and the user can add those as well. And now when I use TrueConnect every morning when I start with TrueConnect, I can see all the relevant news for my clients and who it's relevant to. I can click on my meeting for the day and automatically be prepped and see anything that's recent in the news for them, even if it's you know that they're a Philadelphia Eagles fan and, and the Eagles won the Super Bowl yesterday, it's going to ping me. <laughs> it's going to ping me and say, you know, send send a note, send a touch point, build that, that human connection. You know, the gifting side, everyone sends, uh, 91% of companies send gifting uh, and gifts around the holidays. It's like a generic popcorn basket or a gift basket. Mm -hmm. But why can't we send something that's more personal when we know something about that client? We know where they went to school. You know, a big thing for me was... Um, when Quinnipiac went to the Frozen Four, like that was pretty big for the school. And I had people that were trying to sell to me at that point. You know, if I had received a Quinnipiac jersey with a congratulations note or something that's very personal like that, that would have blown me away and I would have been a client for life. So basically, True Connect facilitates those interactions uh, for our users. Love it. Um, sorry, for the, uh, so when you look at, you look at sales, you're obviously you know, solving this need out, out there with a relationship you know, selling, what, what do you think is like the biggest 
if you can pinpoint one or two things, the biggest thing, you know, initial salespeople, guys, girls in the first couple of years of a sales position, what are they doing wrong? What can they improve on? Yeah, I think what they're doing wrong is, and it's not by fault, their, their fault by any means, they've been taught to focus on these KPIs and, and the transactions, right? And I think what happens is you start looking at a month-to-month basis. You have your monthly quota. You need to hit it, right? So you start feeling the pressure, and you push and push and push for the close. And sometimes you push a product on a client when it's not the right fit. So the biggest advice I would say is be okay if it's not a fit. Find out who your ideal customer is and make sure you can add as much value to that person, uh, both short-term and long-term. And be okay if it's not a fit for the client, don't push it on the client. You know, my very first sale in advertising was a small, small client, small deal, one of the smallest deals I ever closed, but it was the wrong deal for the client. And I knew it. I was young. You know, I said, no, this will work, this will work, this will work. It was like a $2,500 deal. We spent the next six months trying to fix that because it was just the wrong deal for the client. It didn't match their goals. It didn't match their objectives. And so that was a nice lesson for me early on to say, hey, listen, if it's not a fit, that's fine. Let me see if I can add value in other ways. And let me find a client who, who it is a fit for and who I can add the most value to. And because when you do that, now a salesperson you know, who tried to sell to someone that wasn't a fit six months ago, now in their second and third year of business, they're able to grow exponentially because they've already set the foundation and the foundational relationships for that business. Love it. Um, another topic, so we talked about networking, adding value, uh, something that tends to come up on the, on the podcast are the ideas of mentorship. Uh, another buzzword that can be a dirty word, right? If, if you're not in going into it in the right, um, the right mindset or looking for the right things, do you have mentors? How do you find mentors and, and how have they helped you as you transition this massive transition right into to starting up a new venture? Yeah, I have a number of mentors, uh, a couple that are specifically involved with True Connect. Um, you know, I think I never went out looking for mentors. It wasn't like, oh, I need to find a mentor. Who can I find that's going to fast track my, my career? You know, what it really was is just finding individuals who I came across naturally and organically throughout my career who were very like minded and I could potentially help them and, and they were open and willing to, to helping me. Um, mentorship is funny. You know, I just met with a guy the other day who we were talking about people looking for mentors. And, and one thing I, I see a lot of young people do is look for mentors. But I, I say, are you reading books? And they're like, no, I don't read too much. I'm just looking for a mentor. I want to learn. Like all the ideal mentors that you could ever have, you know, the Warren Buffetts uh, of the world, you know, and, and the Richard Branson's of the world, all these people. Like, yes, you're never going to get them to be your mentor, but they've all written so many books to learn from. And there's there people that are just open open books in terms of, you know, their knowledge, the lessons learned, their mistakes. So I would say for a lot of young people, yes, mentorship is important, but also make sure you're reading from the ideal mentors, which are these successful business people. And I think the mentors will start to show up in your life as long as you're open to, you know, being genuine and, and making genuine connections with people. Mike, Mike, what have you learned about starting a company from scratch? It's a, also a common theme that we have on the podcast where we have a lot of entrepreneurs come on and it's not always easy, right? You have these great ideas, you start something, and then a lot of times there's this burnout that you kind of, you don't continue after six months. What have you learned? What are some of the struggles that you've found as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so it's it's certainly a lot different than the ideal, uh, you know, thought of being an entrepreneur and making money from the beach on your cell phone, <laughs> you know, then I think right. Instagram has painted a 
you know, a, a pretty incorrect picture of what entrepreneurship actually means. And I think going into it for anyone who's going to start a company, like you better be passionate about your mission because you're not going to be passionate about a lot of the things you have to do. Like, you know, spending 12 hours going over legal documents with my lawyer, I'm not passionate about that, right? You know, doing Excel spreadsheets and trying to find funding and, and spending long nights and away from the family and all these sort of things. I'm not passionate about that, but I am passionate about bringing humanity back to sales. So everything kind of leads up to that. And it almost reminds me of being an athlete. You know, when you had early morning practices or you had to run or you had to do these sort of things, you didn't love those things, but you didn't really think about it too much because you loved the game and you loved the sport, right? So I think for any entrepreneur, just know that you better love the mission. You better be you know, passionate about it because entrepreneurship is not about sitting back and doing nothing and freedom. Entrepreneurship is about making sacrifices and doing these little things and working the long hours. I mean, I'm, I'm working way more hours now than I was when I actually had a nine to five job that I had to be at. Um, but it's all worth it when you love the mission. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, for some people out there without, they might not have that mission, right? So those late nights are really just stress and, and anxiety and, and tired the next day because there is no why. Um, you know, there is no, when you're away from the wife and, and your son and you, you can put yourself back in the mindset of there, there's a reason behind this, you know, my passion is there. Um, I, I mean, was it like a, you woke up and you're like, I need to bring humanity to the sales. So like people out there, how, how did you find, how did you find your passion? Like, yeah, it's a good question because I think a lot of people come out of school and there's nothing wrong with this. There, there are, in my opinion, natural born entrepreneurs who have been selling stuff since they're five years old, you know, and just that's in their DNA. And they come out of school and they have these great ideas and they start and it works. For me, you know, having that five years of work experience working for someone else was, uh, you know, it was crucial for me starting True Connect. I, I never would have been able to, to start it if I hadn't had that experience because that experience is what kind of led me to that aha moment of saying I need to change this. And what it really came down to is being kind of an introvert myself, being someone who isn't pushy, is, is non-confrontational, and then being able to see some success in sales. You know, the reason why I wanted to change sales for the better is because I felt almost guilty saying I was a salesperson. I'm like, why is that? Why do we feel guilty saying we're salespeople, like we're slimy, you know, used car salesmen, when that's really not the case? And I said, so I need to, you know, I, I'm going to take it as my mission to help change sales and uh, and bring humanity back to sales. And, and I only learned that from working for other people. Um, it certainly, you know, wasn't something that I felt, you know, naturally or innately coming out of school. So it's developed over time, like you know, anything, you start to pick up these traits along the way. I like this. I don't like that. And all of a sudden it, it seems like it got to a point where you're like, I, I now have the means to, to put this into practice. It wasn't, you know, for people out there listening, it wasn't just, you woke up and you're like, this process needs to change. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard time and it, it took time for you for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm scratching my own itch in a certain sense because I know at least I have one customer because yeah. <laughs> you know, as a salesperson, I, I'm building this product for me, but what I found over five years of networking and sales was almost everyone I talked to had this same challenge or same problem, and especially if they were a relationship-based salesperson, they had this problem. So again, that's a little bit of market research and, and uh, finding you know that product market fit before you even create the product. And I was able to do that while getting paid for other people by other people and kind of building my skills um, as a salesperson. Love it, love it. Um, changing gears, talking you know, to our future graduates or, or some people, 
might even be in that period of transition. We always talk about like there's these two waves of transition. There's the what's next right after school. Um, but the more we, we gain a following on this podcast, there's also that wave two of, of what's next after I've been in a career for a couple of years. Um, but for the first, the first audience, our college students, um, what I, I guess is your biggest piece of advice for student athletes, those still in school, um, not a necessarily what do you regret from from college, but how would you flip that? And what's what's your biggest advice for for uh, the college students now, juniors, seniors? Yeah, it sounds a little bit cliche, but when you're in business and you look back at, at university, you realize how easy it actually was as far as you know, <laughs> how much free time you had. I'm like, oh my god, I should have started a company in college. But uh, I think looking back is to say, you know, meet people, just meet as many people as you can. I, I think a lot of kids say, I don't want to, I don't know what I want to do. You know, they're in college. I don't really know what I'm passionate about. And that's fine. But start meeting people and talking to people. I remember I had the opportunity to drive up to Boston um, and meet, I thought I wanted to be a financial analyst uh, when I was doing business school. And I had a chance to meet um, a high, high end financial analyst in Boston who was kind of a connection through a connection. And we met uh, in Boston, you know, at this, in this big office. I'm like walking. I'm like, oh, my God, this is me. I'm at home. This is what I want to do. And I start talking to him. And one of the questions I asked was, how many people do you usually meet with on a daily basis? And he's like, oh, no, no, I don't meet with people. I'm, I'm just mostly spreadsheets. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't talk to anybody. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, like that is I could never do that. I could yeah. Never do that in a million years. So that was an eye opener. And that was just as valuable to figure out what I didn't want to do. Uh, as what I wanted to do, right? And so meet people, get experiences. You know, I know, especially for college athletes, you're busy and you're training, but there's always time, you know, to do small internships or help people out in a certain way. Um, and I think it really sets you up not only from a network standpoint, but also figuring out what you're passionate about and what you actually want to do after you graduate. Because otherwise, you know, you get to graduation, you don't really know what you're passionate about at all. And then you're kind of just floating. And I think a lot of those students are at the risk of either chasing an opportunity because of money and doing something they're miserable uh, doing, or, you know, they're just scrambling and floating around and don't really have a focus on an area that they want to be in. And that can make it tough finding a job. Love it. And that's good perspective because you've acknowledged earlier, you, you may be a bit introverted. So I'm sure those trips up to Boston, you have that internal struggle before the trip. I mean, you talk about that, like it's uncomfortable, but you have to, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I remember um, the game forum, you know, the financial forum that Quinnipiac puts on. Uh, senior year, I went to the game forum for the first time because I hadn't been in business school before that. And I, again, introverted. I, I didn't like meeting people. I didn't want to get out of there. But I looked down the entire speaker list and I don't want to give too much advice here and then get bombarded by emails. But I looked down the entire speaker list and I spent hours researching emails and I found about 20 of their emails. And I sent them all emails saying, listen, I'm a student athlete at Quinnipiac. I don't know what I want to do after I retire or graduate. Uh, I'm just looking for a little bit of advice, nothing else. Would you be willing to take a few minutes? And out of those 20 emails, uh, 16 didn't respond. And oh, sorry, 14 didn't respond. Four said no right off the bat. And, and two said yes. And out of those two people, um, you know, they were very influential people in the financial world and people that actually ended up helping me with connections and opportunities later on. So those are sort of things that, you know, it's uncomfortable to do and most people aren't doing it. But I'll never forget when the one attendee came off the stage and everyone was trying to take pictures with him because he was on CNBC, he's a pretty big name. And I just kind of walked up and said, hey, you know, I emailed you a few days ago. And he's like, of course, I remember when we pulled me aside and we had a you know, 15 minute talk right then and there. And he was someone that when I got my concussion, he was one of my first people I reached out to 
told him the situation. He had me into CNBC's offices. You know, he connected me with some people right after. And and that was from one email. You know, so you just never know. I think you need to get over your fear sometimes and just put yourself out there. I love it. And for the ad nerds out there, that's a 10% conversion rate, which some people would buy. <laughs> so that's not too bad. <laughs> um, Funny too, though, right? Because I think you could look at it and say, oh my God, I had 90% failure rate. And that's a lot of college kids. They're not used to that. They think of everyone that didn't respond or people that said no right off the bat, you know, you get discouraged, but it only takes one yes. You know, and when you have the time in college to do it and you actually have a lot of resources, especially at Quinnipiac, we have a ton of resources in terms of the school and the connections there. Like take advantage because when you're out of school, you're not going to have that opportunity anymore. Yeah, you mentioned the game forum. Anything else come to mind in, in the way of resources? Just for if there's any listeners out there that don't have it and they might have the opportunity to start something themselves uh, at a program, does anything come to mind specifically? Or yeah, you know, I, I know there was a lot of uh, programs at Quinnipiac in terms of like the finan- financial uh, groups there and things like that. Uh, I wasn't overly involved with that. Thinking back now, I would have loved to be. I, I think those are great opportunities. Um, you know, just get involved, meet people. You, you never know who you're going to meet. So, again, I, I can't speak too much from experience besides things like things like the game the game forum and other things like that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, take a look. Your school's got opportunities. You have the career board. You have the the individuals there that usually help the students out, and just get involved as much as you can. Love it, love it. That's awesome. And Gary uh, on the podcast here, he's looking to to do more of that even at Quinnipiac now, right, Gary? Yeah, I'm uh, actually was going to talk to Mike later about this, but I'm in alumni affairs now. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to learn how to connect, uh, how you use that with alumni affairs, because um, there's a lot of, of people I, I want to convince that the relationship is so much more important than, you know, just soliciting right off the bat. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I, I'm Love loving everything you're saying. No, I appreciate it. And I think, you know, Quinnipiac's, from, from the people I'm talking to, even in your office, uh, you know, they put a lot of focus on building a strong community with alumni, and it sounds like they're, they're doing more so than ever. And, you know, that's important, right? You, you build this group. You have you have these students at your university for four years. They spend a lot of money uh, going there. It's to be able to build a network and come out of there and help these kids out. And eventually, you know, when they have the opportunity, they're going to give back to the school. And, and so that's why I think the relationships are so important right off the bat. Love it. Um, you mentioned books. Uh, one question we always like to ask is, do you, do you have resources, blog, podcast, books, videos that come to mind that, that you recommend? Yeah, my favorite book of all time, it's, it's a small, quick read. It's called The Go-Giver. It's by Bob Berg, Bob Berg and uh, John David Mann. It's a book I got given to me when I was probably 18. I think my father gave it to me. And it's just a little book about you know how business actually works. And, and a lot of the ideas in that book... Um, actually have, have driven some of the philosophies of True Connect. I was actually fortunate enough to, to have a conversation and a phone call with Bob Berg a couple of weeks ago, uh, tracked him down and kind of just thanked him for, for writing that book because it's, it's given me so much. But it's one that I give to a lot of my clients. You know, I've probably bought you know, a few hundred copies and it's just something I keep going back to. Um, but that's a good one for philosophy overall. Um, I think there's a lot of great books out there that are more tactical. You know, I... I um, uh, growth Hacker Marketing is, is a book I actually just finished today. Uh, it comes top of mind if you're starting a company. Books like that are, are pretty popular. And then entrepreneurs that I, I follow, you know, pretty common, but um, Gary Vaynerchuk someone, you know, we used to do some work with VaynerMedia, and I was always uh, pretty impressed with what he grew there. And I know with Vayner Sports and Kevin Tarkas, you know, obviously 
uh, interested in that. They've done some pretty pretty good work. Um, Tim Ferriss is someone I follow a lot as far as personal development. Um, I'm a big Tony Robbins guy. You know, mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to go to Tony in, in Newark last year to his Unleash the Power Within. And, Very cool. Uh, you know, he came into Fast Company a couple of times and, and Inc. Magazine. So, you know, I was was able to follow him and, and he's someone that I think has taught me a lot. And, and, you know, it's funny, it's opened me up to say, you know, personal development and business, there's not really a gap in between them. Like people think, okay, I need to focus on my business side as tactical. And I have to think about my personal life and working out and being the best person. They all come together. You know, when I started figuring that out, it's just about being successful in all areas of your life. I mean, you're successful in your personal life, it affects your business and vice versa. You know, it all started to kind of make sense. And, and Tony was a, a big influence on that. Love it. That's awesome. Yeah. And then another, like, he may not be somebody you talk to every day, but like you just said, he has an influence on you because you're going out and you're consuming his content, you're engaging with this. So there's really no excuse, right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you just look at how much content is out there right now. There's no excuse not to learn. You know, there's, and most of it's free. That's the crazy thing. I mean, Tim Ferriss is a perfect example. He's done whatever 300 plus podcasts. I think I've listened to every one at this point. (laughs) But, you know, that's a guy that's getting so much free content. And then, you know, when he writes this book, uh, Tribe of Mentors, you know, as soon as it comes out, of course, I'm buying it because he's added so much value on the front end that for him to ask 20 or $30, or whatever the book costs is nothing. Mm-hmm. And so we've tried to even take some of those philosophies and build in our business to say, how much can we give? So when we ask for the price tag of True Connect, someone's like, yeah, that's nothing. You've already added so much value on the front end. I love it. I love it. Well, speaking of adding value, help helping others, how uh, how can we at What's Next help you with True Connect, uh, your network, or our listeners? How how can they help you out? You know, I, I think I love what you guys are doing. First of all, I think you know people think that athletes have it all given to them, especially in college. Uh, but when you make that transition, it can be tough. And so I love what you guys are doing, and you guys are are certainly talking about humanity and personal development and relationships and connections. Uh, and just keep spreading that good word, man. It helps us out. It helps everyone out, you know, and really focusing on that that human side, that human connection side of whether it's business, relationships, whatever it might be, you know, that helps us out by, by pushing the market that way. But I think it just helps everyone out in business. Love it. Love it. Um, how, with what you're comfortable sharing, how, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Um, yeah, I mean, certainly uh, I'm pretty active on Instagram. Um, my, my account is, is passion underscore purpose underscore profit. Um, it's a motivational account. In, and so you can certainly reach me there and, and D, DM me that way. Um, and yeah, check out our website. It's trueconnect.io. And um, again, we'll be launching in April. And if you're interested, you know, email me or, or check in with me. And, you know, we can certainly talk about getting you guys set up on that. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, and go from there. And um you know, the big thing I would say as far as an ask from, from any athletes coming out is, you know, help each other out. Like, like as athletes, we're one big family. You know, as you guys are obviously doing whatever you can to help ex-athletes out and people transitioning from college. Um, we're all in the same boat. You know, when someone asks something, help them out when you can. Build this network and we'll all be better off for it. I love it. Yeah, there's a, there's such a big conversation going on now of like the paying the athletes and, and the bribes, but like that's such a small amount of the people. There's so many of, you know, everyday athletes that are just graduating. Like, yeah, even if you did pay athletes, it wouldn't affected me right. any. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just awesome. Like everybody, everybody help each other. Um, and the final question, what is, uh, what's next for you? Yeah, so uh, we're launching in, in April with our beta for True Connect. 
um, ramping things up. You know, it's it's a really exciting time. It's nerve wracking, obviously, when you finally get a product and bring it out to market. It's like, you know, showing off of uh, a piece of art for the first time and you know, <laughs> all it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what's next. And then from there, it's just growing our network and, and growing the businesses as, as quickly as possible uh, and trying to add as much value as, a, as we possibly can to our users. I love it, man. Well, we really appreciate the time today. Gary, Kevin, myself, uh, Ant couldn't join us, but I know he's excited to hear this one. So uh, thank you, Mike. We really appreciate it, bud. Thanks uh, so much, Mike. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Love that one. Um, our call to action to you guys as a listeners, if you have a friend, family member, or you are in sales, uh, please share this. Cause I think, you know, before this interview and even, uh, bagged the question of like, why is there such a bad connotation with sales out there? And, and Mike just hits it right on the head. It's about adding value, not having that motive. Um, so I just think that was a really cool message and, and hope you guys share it. Hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, he talked about how you can get in touch with him. His, uh, his first the side venture of passion underscore purpose underscore profit on Instagram. Really cool page, getting a good following. Um, and then you can also check out everything True Connect related on trueconnect.io. Really cool venture. Um, loved having Mike on. We hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Uh, share this, like it, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>